Hi, I'm Dave, and you're listening to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. Today, I'm talking to uh, Mark Adams. He's probably most well-known uh, people listening to the show as a photographer, and he's also a motorcycle enthusiast, uh, <laughs> what I've seen lately. How are you doing? Uh, good, good, good. Oh, yeah, and I see you're in a garage right now, so. In a garage right now, uh, currently kind of in the middle of a modification project on a 91 K100. LT BMW. Okay. I guess speed tracker. Oh, okay. That sounds like fun. I I know some of those words. So, (laughs) yeah, definitely haven't spent nearly as much time around motorcycles as yourself. So, that's cool. So, uh, it was funny. I was just down at the Blackthorn and they had the sign up from your art uh, discussion panel with uh, Jeff Fader and uh, Keith Deason was there and, uh, uh, Andre down De Leon and uh, Leah Arapod, right? That was yeah, yeah, yep. The, that, was, that was that was, and then uh, Joshua Prince was on there as well. Oh yeah, Joshua Prince. Is on yeah, there. yeah. I think he wasn't advertised, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know whether yeah, I don't remember the sign or not, but sure. Yeah. I mean, every one of those people had such a great perspective on it. It was it was awesome. Oh, yeah, they took they took the time to to record something. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, because I had the same idea. I was well, I just thought to have Keith and Jeff on this podcast and just have them argue about art because i think uh, right yeah they could do that they have they both have uh, opinions so it's be fine <clears throat> right yeah yeah and keith is actually he's on a podcast this weekend uh two-thirds focused kind okay. of talking about you know same thing being an artist and some of the designs that he's doing with his uh, uh the utilimat products there uh-huh. right that was fun so let's talk about uh you a little more okay <laughs> all, right. all our friends um all right. So I like to usually go back in history and kind of get an idea of where people, you know, started their creative journey. Uh, was photography one of the first things that you were doing that was kind of like an artistic creative thing? Or, uh, I mean, I kind of grew up in a very supportive household. My brother mm-hmm. and I always had you know, art supplies around. Um, lots of lots of pencils and lots of paper and colored pencils and things like that, because my my dad's an architect. Uh, and my mom was an interior designer. Okay. Um, but both of those were more on the kind of production or commercial side of things, not so much the creative side of things. Right. Um, so very much more um, like, you know, hospitals, manufacturing facilities, parking garages, banks, things like that. Not not like uh, it wasn't a time where you'd see like the, you know, Dwell magazine or something or Architectural Digest wasn't as big um, okay. among the masses. It was more uh, definitely production stuff. But more functional met, uh, stuff, right? Yeah. 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 But they always had stuff left over, so we were always able to play with that. And um, my brother and I, uh, we would always go with my mom um, to like meetings and stuff because my dad mm-hmm. worked in an office and my mom worked out of the home. Okay. And so she, she would take us to client meetings and things like that. So since we were, you know, three, four, five, something like that, we would be sitting in a corner or at a desk or something, and we would be just told to occupy ourselves for an hour while she had a business meeting. And so uh, that was something we always grew up with. Oh, that's cool. Um... Uh, what is your bro- your brother also uh, creative? Uh, not no, not really. I mean, I think I mean he he definitely like I've seen some of his stuff um, from years ago when he was like just taking like some drawing classes and things, and I thought that they were really great, um, very personal kind of images, not like very big stuff. But I thought mm-hmm. it really had a, a great vision. But it's not something he's really focused on. Um, so I'm I'm probably the only only one doing creative stuff in the in the family right now. Okay. Uh... 
Did you have any experience in kind of like, you know, middle school, high school of getting into uh, high school photography? I, well, I took I took art in, um, you know, all those because it was always a fun class. Right. Um, so middle school, I had, you know, pretty good art teacher um, that just showed us a lot of different things. So we would do, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, etching on glass and mirror and ceramics and, and that kind of stuff. And I've always loved ceramics. I'd love to spend more time doing that. Um, I've taken you know, some, some classes here or there, uh, but nothing, nothing too, uh, finished or polished, just the kind of the intro classes or, um, just, I love working with the material. So, okay. and then I took in high school, I took uh, photography as a freshman and then I just kind of kept taking it. All right. So, yeah, so that kind of was, was that the introduction to that for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, we always had cameras in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when I started, you know, taking images for myself instead of less like dropping them off with the family pictures to go to the lab. So, right. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Did you do any sort of shop class or anything in a uh, I mean not not really. Uh we always had stuff in the in the garage. So like we always had tools in the garage that we could play with. Mm-hmm. Um but surprisingly I never really uh if I was to show you the table saw that uh we had growing up it was it's generations away from the saw stop. So uh easily you could have lost a finger on on that saw. So we were very, very cautious around that, those kind of things. <clears throat> okay. Did you get into the motorcycles or dirt bikes or anything back then? Or? Um, well, I got, I, I fell in love with motorcycles um, on a trip overseas in, in high school. Uh, had a exchange program in uh, to Japan and uh, fell in love with motorcycles then and got the very hard no that you're never getting a motorcycle as long as you live in this house kind of lecture. Yeah, I've I've heard those. That was uh, familiar in my house. So I, you know, was always interested in motorcycles, and I took like the motorcycle, uh, you know, class mm. when I was like forty. So right, <laughs> took a while to get back <clears throat> onto right. it. I mean, I think my parents would have been better off if instead of just like outlawing him, if they would have been like, well, you know, if you love them, then get an education in them, or you know, you know, learn more about them and kind of come at it from an educational standpoint. Yeah. Um, so that I would learn how to do it the right way instead of trying to do it behind their back the wrong way. Right. Yeah. There was in like Western Massachusetts, there was even like a dirt bike school. Okay. That was like, you know, they had like, you know, multi day classes on how to learn how to actually ride safely, uh-huh. and, you know, right. off road. But I think that that closed before I got a chance to check it out. So, but so, yeah, there's definitely, you can definitely get very advanced in like motorcycle skills. Yeah, oh, yeah, I would if I had you know unlimited resources I would probably be taking classes every week but it's you know it's it's something I really love I w- really want to get a lot better um mm-hmm. I think I'm a uh I would probably consider myself a cautious conservative rider I mean I like to go fast uh, but right. I don't want to uh end up being too broken up so Sure. Do you do a lot of off-road stuff or is it- uh, it's kind of a mix. Uh, most of my stuff is on road, and then there's kind of like the adventure segment, which isn't like pure dirt bike, but it's like larger bikes that work both on dirt and off. Right. Um, so there's these things that people actually really anybody should check out. Um, they're called uh, Backcountry Discovery Routes, and there's a, a company that has put them together. And I think there's about twelve or fourteen of those now, um, and they basically go from border to border and state to state. So uh, my buddy Dave uh, really got into those. And so we, a couple of years ago, probably 
early pandemic, I think we rode the Washington one. So it goes from the Columbia okay. River up to the Canadian border. Cool. So it's about 700 miles off road. Um, I think California has two of them. Nevada has one, Arizona, um, a bunch of different other states. Oregon is just opening up one. Um, and a lot of the company's goal for these routes is to explore the backcountry, but then also create kind of tourism opportunities for small towns in the backcountry that don't have other tourism opportunities. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so you could explore the backcountry in the small towns of America just off-road. So I think it's it's a great way to go camping and um, see the back parts of your state that you're not going to see on the highway. Yeah, that's cool. My friend did, I don't know if it was last, it must have been, it was probably almost two years ago now, he did one that was like a cross-country. Mm. I think you mentioned it before, I can't remember. The Trans-American Trail is, goes yeah. from um, the Atlantic to the Pacific. Um, and I was initially going to do that <clears throat> five years ago when I was riding across the U.S. I was going to ride Route 66 and then go down to the Trans-America start and then ride back. Um, but I kind of got distracted with Cleveland and ended up moving to Cleveland and then it turned to wintertime and then everything got you know busy. So, yeah, but I do plan to ride the Trans-America Trail at some point. I've got some friends who who want to do it. So that's cool. But it, that requires about a month of time. So, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's definitely a uh, dedication. Yeah. So that's cool. And you said you, so you just discovered that when you uh, traveled to Japan, was that your first trip uh, overseas? Yeah, overseas. Uh-huh. Yeah. First one overseas. Uh, then I had a couple other summers in Japan on other exchanges, and then I spent a year there in college. Okay. Wow. So did you go to college for photography? Uh, I did. After I got back from Japan, then I, I went down to Art Center uh, and took uh, a couple of semesters there, or terms. There's three terms a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, decided not to go so deeply in debt that I'd never get out of it and decided to just start working instead. Okay, so you had enough experience that you were able to start working. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's a great school. It's a great education. Um, I, I, you know, still friends with some people that I that I went to school there with. Um, I just think that college at this point for the creative fields, if you're going to leave, you know, hundred and hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, it's it's pretty challenging to pay those off if it's all loans. So, yeah, for sure, <laughs> definitely. Um, so and so after high school, you kind of had an idea that you would uh, pursue that career in photography and uh-huh. go to school for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, was that um, was there anyone who kind of you know gave you the idea that that's an actual? I mean, photography is a little is more commercial than a lot of the other artistic fields. But was there someone um, who kind of gave you an idea that? I mean, that I was... think I was reading you know all the all the photo magazines at the time and kind of mm-hmm. seeing what was possible as far as education goes and how to you know, get into the career a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the schools that was mentioned. There's, you know, there were several schools around the U S that <clears throat> kind of specialize in that art center has a number of other uh, programs as well. They've got industrial design, product design, graphic design, fine art, um, entertainment design, film. Yeah. And so you can get a lot of different interests all in one place, which is great. But you cool. really, it's such an intense program that you, you know, you don't have a lot of time to meet people outside your major sometimes because it's just so mm-hmm. busy. Sure. Is that, um, is it mostly focused on kind of like training to do that as a career? Those programs? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really more about um, the, the technical aspects of things mm-hmm. um, and then trying to develop your own particular style. Um, okay. I don't think any school really does a great job with the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if any schools out there that's listening, I really think every single program and every single project that you work on needs to have budgetary constraints, needs to have management of finances, cash flow, those kinds of things attached to it. Even if it's just a simple portrait, you still need to understand breaking down time and charging that back to clients and then where to mark up things and legality and especially paying your taxes and not getting behind on that. So, Yeah, that's actually makes sense because no matter, I mean, if you're going to do it as a career, no matter what type of creative work you do, you know, you have to turn it into a business. Yeah, it shouldn't just be one business class at the end of your education. It should be every single project so that it's baked into what you do every day. Yeah, that makes uh, makes good sense to me. So that's pretty cool. So like that's my commercial background. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the portraits are really more of a passion project. So right. um, Because I, you know, I was in California shooting product and architecture and advertising and stuff for 20, 25 years. and so, like most people know me as a portrait photographer, but I've really shot pretty much everything you can shoot. So, yeah, that's that. That's you know, I mean, I've talked to you before about this kind of stuff, so that's right. <laughs> you know, I've learned that. But yeah, so it was pretty interesting to you know see how you you know created that new type of you know niche view. And I don't know if you actually uh, can make a career out of doing it the way you do it, but. I mean, I think just kind of being able to find clients that that it makes sense for them, mm-hmm. um, because I really do love kind of the large kind of show environment right. where you get a lot of people instead of just doing like one headshot mm-hmm. here and there. Yeah. And it, it makes a lot of sense for people that are coming to these events, the professional events that that need to uh, to get headshots for themselves or um, and if it, there's just a financial structure that makes sense to to make that kind of bulk work where you're not having to spend, you know, half an hour or an hour with somebody. And you're going to get, I think a better picture because you're not so focused on yourself. It's really a lot of the great shots that we get uh, at the maker camp are really about the environment that's there, the people that are there and the friends that you're hanging around with that are, you know, behind me or, you know, beside you guys and everybody talking. And uh, it really feels natural and you get a lot of the personality. So. Yeah, definitely. I agree. You know, (laughs) Yeah, everyone that you know you talk to, you know, says the same thing about that for sure. Maker Camp and those type of events. Um, one of the things that Jeff, I just heard Jeff Fader talking about this on his podcast, um, is that if you're going to call yourself an artist, and I don't know, we don't, we didn't really talk about that, but you know, you're definitely creative. Is that you have to be able to explain like what you do, like what's your purpose, what is your goal, you know, as mm-hmm. an artist, what are you making? Um, so, do you have a like a artist statement for that for the kind of the portrait work you do um i mean i think like like my portrait my my aesthetic and my style and my intent on all that is really creating an open collaborative moment with the subject so that they're part of the process i know there's plenty of people that do uh pictures of other people and they're basically using that person as kind of a form or a shape or they're trying to express something within themselves. And Mm -hmm. for me, I just want to create a moment where the person that's in front of me, we're just having a conversation and they're showing who they are and I'm getting to find out about them. Um, And and my goal is really everything I do during those kind of events is to create this kind of a space where they can talk and we can meet and we can um, hang out and just really focus on that person and that it's not about me at all. Right. If I want, if it was, if it was going to be about me, I would just take self portraits, and so I don't, I don't really want to want to do that because there's so many more interesting people that I get a chance and opportunity to meet through photography. So why not take advantage of that? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, 
and you think about it, that's kind of that's pretty much what everybody does, right? So I did block printing over there, and that's the same thing. I got to meet all these different people and kind of you know talk and you know learn about like what they're you know about them as makers, you know through right. you know going through the process. I mean, because I think a lot of people, if they're taking, you know, portraits and the the people are kind of coming in and they're sitting for it and they're they feel they feel very posed. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things. If I'm asking you to pose, it's really that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to start you in one place and then see where that moves you. And so, I almost almost never have somebody pose in a in a very formal way, right? Because I feel like that energy really just isn't what I'm looking for. No, yeah, but I can understand because people, especially like me, who are nervous and they don't know what to do, <laughs> they don't right. have, you know, right? Um, you're like, okay, start here, and then you know, you start again. You start that conversation, and yeah. you know, it's conversation you know, in words, you know, just talking, yeah. but also through, you know, just interact, the interaction kind of builds that, you know, you can see the story. Like if you look at the, the set of portraits, you get an email from you. Um, <laughs> right. You see, yeah. You, you can, can see, see how it kind thing. of develops sometimes. Yeah. And I think like, like every year I do try and modify the light a little bit to kind of change it. So that's not exactly the same as the year before. Yeah. Um, so some years I might go a little bit softer. I might go a little bit harder just cause I want, <clears throat> you know, I, I would get bored with it. I mean, and they're, they're, that environment that I'm in, obviously there's power limitations, there's space limitations, so I can't really set up a very involved setup. Uh, so I need to really just use one light minimally and some bounce um, to create kind of whatever's going to look good because I have to shoot one people to 20 people. So it has right. to look good for That's true. that whole range of people. And it's a, it's a fun challenge to, for me, so... And that's, yep, that's what, uh, kind of what this whole thing is all about is, you know, challenging yourself and, you know, creating those new situations that you can, you know, figure something out, learn something new. Right. And it, sometimes those situations are created for you. So. Well, they, right. Yeah. It's, it's not planned at all. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. If you go to maker camp, you have, you have a plan and you might think you're going to do one thing. Um, yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to do it but yeah you definitely some of the problems you make for yourself and you know in you know creating that challenge or that you know new project and then some of them are, are more organic and just right. you know happen because you know anything where you're meeting you know hundreds of people and <laughs> interacting with them something's gonna yeah. you know something's gonna change well and i think like i was thinking about this the other day before you know when you when you asked me about the interview one of the things I'm trying to rem I'm trying to think of who at Maker Camp meets more individual people there. Like I think every single person, not every single person, unfortunately, because some people either don't want to get their picture taken or they 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 don't quite schedule it right and they and they don't. But I probably see on a percentage per person basis, I probably see the most people maybe because hopefully everybody tries to swing by. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And it, it makes the most sense, right? Because, again, the person who's meeting you, they don't have to do any work. They don't have to get dirty. They don't have to, you know, right. you know, they're, I guess they, they do learn to like, learn how, you know, how to present themselves, you know, in a portrait, not present them, but, you know, just to, to relax and, you know, get their portrait taken. A lot of people are like, I don't want to get my picture taken. You know, I don't right. like to get my picture taken. And a lot of times, you know, at least they feel comfortable with you after after doing that. They'll come back and get their picture taken with you again, even if they don't necessarily want everybody to take their picture. 
Right. No, I do. I do hear a lot of the people who come by and be like, you know, oh, my friend said I should come and I don't usually like get my picture taken. And then, you know, we get into it and we get a couple of good shots of them and they really like really brighten up and really kind of see what's possible. Yeah. Um, and I like to surprise people. I think it's fun to, to see that that moment when they first see their first couple of good pictures of themselves for sometimes even for the first time, like some people have never seen a picture that they feel is authentically them. Yeah. Um, and that really always kind of moves me. There's, there were a lot of those this last year, I think this year was, or last year was, was really special in that regard. That's cool. Do you think there's ever like going to be a limit to that? Do you need to bring, you know, an assistant or I don't know. <laughs> I mean, cause well, like if I have, like if I have somebody helping me, it kind of, it adds another personality, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't give me as much time to talk to each person. Right. Um, so I don't get it. I wouldn't get as much of who they are before they sit down. And I mm-hmm. probably wouldn't get as much as we're looking through the pictures as I'm emailing it to them. Yeah. And I like to use those that time to just kind of check in to see if, you know, if they liked him, if they really liked him, if there's anything we can do a little differently. Because mm-hmm. um, I want every single person to have, you know, their picture that they want. Um, yeah. And so... I don't really, I, I never try to rush through anybody. I just tell no. everybody I'm just going to take as much time as, as each person takes mm-hmm. and it, it's maker camp. So everyone's just kind of standing around, hanging around with friends or like doing something. Yeah. Um, and especially in the evening, you know, people grab some beers and they're hanging out by the fire and then they'll swing over and get a picture taken. Right. And so it doesn't really feel like uh, as formal of an event as it might be in some other venues, which is great. Yeah. Cause I don't want people to feel like, Oh, I've only got 30 seconds with them or I've only got two minutes mm-hmm. with them. I want to, I want them to really just, get out of the experience what they want. Yeah. So I guess if more people come to maker camp, you just have to, Craig's going to possibly have to wait a little longer. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to limit Craig to five outfits a day. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> Cool. So I do like to kind of like figure out if there is, you know, and I have this theory or this concept that a lot of people, creative people have, you know, like, a not a, intentional or straightforward path mm-hmm. to get where they are like right. creatively in, in their work. So can you think of any kind of events or, you know, you know, unexpected turns to get where you are today? Um, I mean, honestly, every single thing in the last five years has been unexpected to me. Sure. Cause like, I, was, I, I mean, I kind of even forget like how long it's been. I think it was like 2016, 17, something like that. Um, I got on my motorcycle. I wanted to leave California and I was just riding around the U S looking for a place. Uh, and then I found Cleveland. And if I hadn't found Cleveland, I wouldn't have met Jimmy and Patrick and they wouldn't have invited me up to Austin's event at maker camp. So I would have, and I never would have taken those maker pictures. So that I would not have been as, as much of this community as I am. Okay. Wow. Right. Well, yeah, that's for sure. And yeah, cause you weren't scheduled to take pictures or anything the first time. No, I would just happen to be in the building. Yeah, yeah. they were. They just Lincoln had them at, at an event um, that was wrapping up for that week in in the building that I was in, and uh, I just saw some cool people come into the motorcycle garage and invited them to come up and get their picture taken. And then you know, forty five minutes later, everybody's up there getting their picture taken, drinking beers, hanging out, and that kind of has set the tone of of how I take maker pictures is just having a good time with people. Cool. Yeah, that's true. So that was entirely unexpected. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> And that's, and that's, uh, you know, that's kind of, it's almost how a lot of people end up, you know, in the maker community is like, you know, they either watch a YouTube video or they met someone, you know, and then that just, you know, it builds on that from there. Once they get that interest and curiosity, they, 
don't stop. Well, there's so many different things that you can be a part of the maker community in. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, people that like wood, you've got metal people, glass people, jewelry, ceramics, everything. So it's, I think anybody who, and you don't have to be good at any of this. You just have to enjoy doing it and having a good personality. I think that's the biggest thing that as long as you're willing to learn, people are willing to teach you. Oh yeah, definitely. That's, it's, you know, it's definitely more about like the curiosity and the learning and the process of that. And, uh, you know, and of course the other aspect of that is um, everybody who's involved, you know, if they know something, they're really willing to share it. So that's, that's how it, it builds and that's what the community is about learning and sharing what you know right was there any so can you think of anything else that maybe was um earlier in your career or kind of that you know was a surprise um hmm. no i mean i mean i think every like i think about the thing about being a you know whether you're a craftsman or a creative person or Anybody who's doing something that you make, you kind of you're preparing these skills for the next project that you're un, you know maybe unintentionally learning about different things. Um, and I think if you can keep your mind open to just trying a bunch of new different things and not knowing how it's going to apply, that will give you kind of the the ingredients that you need maybe to solve some problem that you didn't expect. Um, so I think just keeping an open mind has really let me kind of find these, you know, being ready for opportunities that are presented to me that I didn't ask for. Right. And being able to solve problems that maybe I've got a good background for because I know a lot of little things about a lot of little things. So. Okay. Sure. So what um, are there other things that you have that are, you know, skills or knowledge that you've learned along the way besides, uh, you know, motorcycles and photography uh well like you know so like during covid um one of the things i was doing is i was remodeling my childhood home um because <clears throat> i wasn't i wasn't taking pictures because nobody wanted to be in rooms with near anybody else yeah and so um opportunity came up that you know my my dad decided that you know we needed to get the house on the market and get it sold um to take care of some some family things and uh so i was like oh, i'll come back and you know I'll remodel it because I'm not doing anything else right now. And all the skills that I've had from like building sets and working on uh, and studios and things like that um, kind of prepared me for doing the home remodel. So, you know, I was, you know, putting in salvaged hardwood floor and refinishing that. I was, you know, glazing windows, doing, you know, sweating copper pipe, you know, doing some electrical, you know, just a wide range of things, you know, tons of landscaping, some sheetrock all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it always, always amusing to me when people at, at maker things, you know, see me strictly as a photographer and not somebody right. that, you know, works with metal and wood and everything else mm-hmm. in my other world. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Cause you know, it's hard to tell, you know, if you had, you know, again, you don't post, you know, remodeling projects or metal, right. you know, every, you know, just the thing you've been posting, you post a lot of motorcycle stuff and that reminded me of that, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so you don't post woodworking projects on your Instagram, so people don't. Know, I mean, because you know. I have my, my my personal one is that Insta- yeah. that Instagram. I kind of I post mostly the kind of not really finished mm-hmm. pictures and like anything really beautiful, but just like stuff sure. with my phone. Okay. I didn't, you know, I kept going back and forth as to whether I wanted to, you know, film anything or add anything or put any like social media out with that project. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the problem is that with my professional side of things, I would have had to do so much lighting and camera stuff that I right. felt like I, I just wouldn't have not have had time to finish the project. Right. Because I would want to make it look so pretty and want to be completely behind the camera as opposed to in, in behind and in front. So, yep. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to just, you know, I could have easily put up like time lapse GoPros just in the corners and done something like that. And that honestly would have been a great record of the project to see, you know, everything. Cause a lot of the stuff was taken down to the studs or the dirt was taken down wow. to the ground. And so it was, you know, a tremendous amount of work um, that, you know, people could have learned stuff from or been, uh, would have been interesting to see, but it, it would have taken so much more time to film. Cause I'm sure, you know, with your projects, how much more time it takes to, to oh, film yeah. and to edit and, uh, you know, all the storage and stuff. So. Sure. That's why I usually don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Unless it's, yeah, unless it's something you can record on the phone and, and make a reel or something that's 30 seconds. Um, that's what I do, you know, late, cause you definitely, it's a dedication and a commitment to be like, okay, I'm documenting this project right. and I'm going to turn this into a story. You know, that's a whole yeah. separate thing. Right. Yeah. Because my, my primary goal was to finish the house or my the primary goal is to take pictures. And so I want to focus on that. My primary mm-hmm. goal isn't to create content. Yeah. And so it's just coming from a different place. Cause if mm-hmm. I wanted to create content, then I would really be focused more on making it look really pretty and matching my aesthetics. Yeah. And I would probably be disappointed with just, you know, how bad it would look if I just threw up a GoPro and, you know, cause the lighting is, you know, it's shop lighting. It's like a dull light. It's, Generally, it's darker than I need it to be to actually work in because you're mm-hmm. cramped underneath a foundation or something. So, right. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I would at some point with my next project, if I if I get a few things going forward that I want to do, um, I'll probably definitely try and document those more closely because I won't have a timeline, and I can just do it on my time. And if I feel like documenting something, I can spend more time on it. But yeah, the remodel I was I was actually trying to finish on a deadline. Yeah, if there's a deadline, that definitely changes uh, <laughs> everything about it. Yeah. Cool. Do you remember any sort of, you know, like, where, again, um, you said you learned, you know, how to, at least some, how to put things together and right. uh, build sets and stuff. Do you remember mm-hmm. anything like that? Like, where that began? Did you do any kind of, home, like... Well, like, as a kid, like, my, my, my dad would, uh, you know, we would always be, like, building, like, the plastic models and stuff. And I don't even, I don't, I mean, I see them. I don't know how much kids do them these days, but uh, I used to really, really be into those and like the lead cast lead figures and stuff. You'd hand paint those. I used to do a bunch of that stuff as a kid. So I learned how to like layer paint and put like aging effects and things like that as a kid. Um, and then just dad being an architect, we were always around job sites and seeing, you know, construction materials and kind of playing with that stuff. Okay. So it wasn't really something that was formalized, but it wasn't something, it was definitely something that I was, you know, comfortable around you know, tools at all times. So sure. So you had seen tools, you know, and you had some idea of them. So then if something came up at, you know, one of your jobs or something, you were able to put that into place. And yeah. And a lot of it's just problem solving and trying to make, you know, something look like what it should look like, even though behind the scenes, if you turn it around, it's actually not that. So. Right. Yeah. A little bit of make inside. Yeah. Yeah. And that was mostly different photography uh, work. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. That's cool. So that's, that's kind of, it's kind of what I was talking about, <laughs> you know, like where you just, you know, you, you know, once you get experience with any kind of tools, then, you know, that gives you the foundation to, you know, get to the next step. And, you know, as you figure stuff out, you get more, you know, 
you keep, you know, you just build on all those different skills. And like you said, just being open to that. Well, like one thing I remember that I was just, a, a buddy of mine was doing a shoot for um, an airline and they were doing, and I was, he, I was helping him both with on the digital side of uh, like the capture side of thing, his digital assistant. And then he also needed um, some things modified to make it work for the shoot. And we were shooting, I think um, like for British airways maybe. And mm-hmm. we needed to shoot the, um, the, the British guard with the hat, the, like the beef eater hat. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they have a special uh, rifle that they use. And so we we're able to find a plastic one of those um, online and get it shipped to us. And then I had to modify a few things cause it had to be, you know, a little bit of paint modification and things like that. Um, and one of the things that, that I did for him um, was in the, the actual plastic gun, I added a bunch of weight so it would actually feel like a rifle. And mm-hmm. no one's ever going to know that. Right. But the one thing I hate seeing in like movies is when you see the actor holding an empty coffee cup, drinking from an empty coffee cup, and it doesn't feel real or carrying an empty luggage. Yeah. So it doesn't give that person that connection to reality that mm-hmm. adds that extra th- five percent of a performance so right. that was one of the things that i i kind of chuckle about you know just doing something like that okay yeah so again that goes back to your painting models when you were a kid yeah <laughs> and also just you know paying attention right to understand that when someone's holding an object that they will hold it slightly differently if it's you know a different weight you know or if right. it's, you know if it's a light plastic thing they're not going to have the exact same posture as yeah. if it has the actual weight Right. So, so now everyone listening to this podcast, when you're watching movies, every single coffee cup they're holding, check to see if it's filled with something or it's empty. Yeah, I guess it depends on how many takes there were, right? If he actually <laughs> yeah, yeah, it exactly. and then they bought yes. at the end, they ran out. They didn't have a PA to refill it. Right. So that's interesting. Do you, um, you know, through your career, uh, do a lot of photographers like build up all these kind of crazy skills or? I, I mean, I think it, it, it kind of depends. Like some people come at it from either a very aesthetic standpoint mm-hmm. and they may just solely focus on the visuals. Other people will, will come at it more from like a set building standpoint where they really like the physicality of it. Other people will, will do more, you know, people stuff and they, they have really outgoing personalities. So every person kind of develops skills in their different area that they like. So some people can really be very, very narrowly categorized as like a portrait photographer or a still life mm-hmm. photographer. Right. But personality wise, I always found that very limiting. And um, so probably for a detriment to my career, because you can't really define like when you think of me, like the makers can, because they see only my portraits. But um, if you go to my, my website, you can see kind of a wide range of work that I've done. Um, but it's it's all all over the board so it's can't say like i do just one thing or the other mm-hmm. so that gives me kind of the skill set to solve problems in every regard so since i shoot a lot outside i can make studio light inside look like outside light if i need to whereas mm-hmm. some people who have never shot outside and only shoot inside stuff sometimes they have a little more of a challenge right yeah so that was kind of like a you know i was think you know there's too many different types of photographers to <laughs> say they're all right very yeah, similar. There's hundreds right? of, every photographer is a different band. Some some people yeah. will really love to get their hands dirty, mm-hmm. um, and then other people, that's not what drives them. So right. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So um, we didn't talk about that. So do you typically call yourself an artist, or is that something you identify with? 
I mean, I don't really uh, call myself an artist in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably lean more towards feeling more of a like a craftsman. Right. Um, just because of the... Not so. I mean, I feel like you know, like the great masters and stuff like that. When you look at you know their proficiency with the mediums and things, that's one way to approach craft versus art. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I feel like artists kind of are thrown into the category of expressing something personally, mm-hmm. um, something that's internal to them. Right. Um, whereas since my work is very much more a collaboration. Um, yeah. I feel like it's more of those moments or it's more of about that experience, maybe the art of it mm-hmm. um, and the picture is just the result of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, again, so it's like almost like the process, the, the whole, the building that experience, like at maker camper at the event, like that's one way to look at it. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it's not necessarily like a music performance where I'm doing something every time I want mm-hmm. each person to, to know that I'm listening to them and paying attention to them. And um, each person I want to feel like that picture that we made is a record of that moment and the openness that they, um, and the things that they're able to talk about. And you know, sometimes even just find within themselves in those, in those times. So, and not just feel limited. So I, I'm, I feel like that moment is, is fleeting. And it's kind of like, not, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's a performance piece because it's, it's mm-hmm. authentic and it's real and it's, yeah. it's trying to create, connection mm-hmm. um and so that's maybe what i'm focusing on right okay yeah because there's just a couple of different you know and again like jeff had that kind of definition where if you can explain like what your intent and your like what you're trying to do with your work then yeah. that's when you can call yourself an artist so obviously you you can definitely do that with the you know the portrait work you're doing you know yeah as opposed to you know maybe it would be different than if you were doing some of the other type of photography, like product photography, a little less um, of a story I mean, to tell. It, there. Maybe there well, is. I mean, like sometimes like if some editorial photographers and it's really based on that photographer's style, so they've mm-hmm. got a lot more freedom, then that kind of really can cross the line of whether they're expressing whatever they want to express personally, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just making a, you know, some bottle look really pretty with nice highlights, which yeah. is great. And I really enjoy the technical challenges of those things. Sure. But it's not something... You know, I'm remembering more the moments that I've had with the crew or the people during those shoots. If the picture is at a certain level, like if it's not, at a, if it's never achieves that level, then I'm dissatisfied with that experience. Sure. But I think if the picture looks great, but what I'm really remembering is conversations I've had with people or hearing about other people's um, lives outside the studio. And that's really the fun part. That's cool. That's so I haven't. And that's well, you make me think when you talk it's all about those conversations. Like that's I'm like, Oh, Hey, that's what I do. That's this podcast. <laughs> like can talk. To people. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you you know, get a chance so. to talk to people. Yeah. 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 So that's, um, because the other thing is that, and, um, I kind of got this from talking to Andy Berkey and just like more of my thinking was that I, you know, again, cause I don't, I don't like to say like, Oh, you have to do this to be an artist or you can't call yourself an artist unless you're, you know, doing this certain thing. Um, if you want to call yourself an artist, Good, because I think it's more, I like to look at it from the perspective of um, how you experience the world, what you pay attention to, and, you know, kind of like, that's, you know, where I, I think that the mindset of an artist is like, you know, how you interact with, you know, the world and 
I think you're dropping off. You know, it... how you experience it. I mean, I think it's it's important for all of us to kind of see the world and notice the things that we find important or just mm -hmm. leave ourselves, put ourselves in a place of being open to seeing a right. wide range of things. And I think all of those experiences can kind of contribute to what we do, what we make, how we interact with people. So I don't know, the term artist is always kind of a, a loaded term. I think sometimes other right. people try to maybe put it on you as something. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people like don't, you know, yeah, they don't don't want to be labeled by someone else and telling them like what, you know, defining what they're doing. <laughs> right. And some people really are, you know, there's such a kind of a stereotype of what an artist is mm -hmm. and, you know, whether they have to suffer for their art or they're kind of the deep emotional baggage that they're trying to express. Yeah. Um, and then other people are, you know, just like to do pretty things so mm -hmm. and I, I mean it's everybody defines themselves hopefully by their own criteria right yeah and again it's always, i just like to think it's and again maybe that's it maybe we don't call that an artist right it's just more discussion about like yeah you know don't forget to pay attention to things you know <laughs> and you know you can have this you know creative experience, whatever you want to call it, you know, and that, you know, you find things in the world that inspire you to do, you know, whatever you're going to do. Well, when you've got like so many different things that are artistic, right? I mean, we've yeah. got, you know, some people do sculptures out in nature, you know, I've got Andy Goldsworthy, who's doing stuff with leaves and twigs and, and photographing that. And then mm -hmm. so the actual thing that he's created has only a limited amount of time in that experience, but then the picture lives on. Right. Um, and, but he also within himself, he has that, those moments of planning that, creating that. And so he's got a much broader experience of that one picture. Mm -hmm. So that planning process and the building process could take weeks, could take months or years even for him to conceptualize and finalize a piece. And that kind of goes through with every single part of his life through those mm -hmm. events. Like sometimes I'll be sitting and I'll remember something of a conversation that I had with somebody else. And then I'm like, Oh, then I've got to bring that up with this person here. So like during the maker camp, like someone will be talking about one thing. And then I may remember a conversation that I had with that person a year before. And then I can still bring those, that information and follow up on somebody with someone else. So then that picture becomes a record of those multiple times I've talked with that person. Right. Yeah. I like that. And that's again, I guess that's kind of more where I look at it again, because I want to talk, talk about like art or the creative process or just creativity. And, you know, as that problem solving is more about remembering, think about the thinking about the process and, you know, that experience that you have of the whole thing, not just the product that you have at the end. So that's good. I, I think like sometimes <clears throat> when you're outside of, an artistic process like you're just seeing the result of it so like if i go to if i you know walk into a gallery and i see a painting my the only experience that i can have is what i see in that particular piece of work and how it reflects something within me but if i know the artist or i've seen them working on it or if i'm sitting with like you know there's an artist in cleveland that i sit in a studio sometimes and we'll have these really cool discussions 
and I'll see him working and then I'll see a final piece. But for me, it's all about the day that we spent hanging out. Right. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what, like, that's why people connect with, you know, YouTube and content creators and, you know, the, the people who share, you know, their process online because you get to, you know, get to understand, you know, part of their, you know, their thinking, you know, when they're making that thing, it's not just looking at the object. There's <clears throat> like with that, there's kind of a little bit of a, for me, I sometimes will consciously avoid like, you know, I, cause I follow a bunch of people and I follow the bunch of the makers that I've, you know, that I've photographed, but I try to, sometimes I really try to just be ignorant in the best way of what people are doing so that I can ask them and have that moment with them together, mm -hmm. not be like, oh, I've, or if I've seen something do something really interesting, then I can be like, hey, what was this like? Or when were you doing this? Yeah. But I don't want to know too much about people before they come up on, onto my set. Cause I want to be able to, to ask them whatever questions I feel like asking in that moment and not be too thought you know, too much thinking about it forward, but thinking about it in that moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but it, it, and that kind of it does. But, you know, the way you're explaining that and how, you know, being with that person, you know, having that conversation with them, whether, you know, in their studio or when you're taking their portrait. Um, that's I think that's a big thing that people, you know, take away just being able to go and meet all these, you know, other people, you know, in person at these events and, you know, right outside of that. So, um, yeah. And just turn that into, yeah. Cause there's so much that we learn and, you know, just having those experiences of interacting with people, you know, around the campfire or just, you know, working, we just did the, the group forage project at the Blackthorn and, you know, so that's like 25 people. So we're spending this whole weekend together, you know, building something, you know, as like a group activity so it's an experience you can't compare to anything else you can watch you know, the instagram stories but you don't it's not the same as being there well and I, I mean i definitely try to you know no matter where i'm at or whoever i'm talking to i always try to tell people like what a great experience maker camp is like i think it's it's honestly the, like the the place that it's at the energy and just the whole vibe of the thing really yeah. is a special thing it's it's so much different than any other event that I've been to. Right. And it just feels like, cause it's not, it's not really a trade show, but there's a bunch of companies that, you know, sponsor it and they show product there, but it really is such a, like a recharge for people because they get to hang out with people that are doing stuff that they love and that, that, you know, they may be the only maker that they know in their small town or, you know, cause everyone really doing making stuff. A lot of them are you know, in their basement or in their garage. And mm -hmm. so they may be like, the only blacksmith in their block, you know, it's not like you've got, you know, that everyone doing it so close to you, but mm -hmm. it's nice to you know, be around that same energy of people creating and just the, the positive energy. So I think if I know I met a couple of people that were kind of hesitant to come to make camp, they didn't know like what to expect or they maybe felt a little bit self-conscious that they weren't like, they didn't really, it's like the whole artist thing. It's like, well, how do you classify yourself as a maker? And so they, didn't know what they were going to expect, but I think it's a great place for people that want to just find out new things and just kind of and meet new people. And uh, everybody's so supportive there. I, I, you know, there's never ever been a moment there where I didn't feel like other people weren't supporting other people. 
Yes, uh, totally agree with that. And again, that's what yeah, what you say like yeah, if you're interested, if you're curious, you know, about making stuff, then you're already a maker, and you know, yeah. and you're you're ready for maker camp. You know, that's that's why they have all the hands-on activities and stuff it's because we want to share again share this stuff and you know and create more makers <laughs> create more people right. who right. have who, who have the opportunity to experience this you know some people in new york we still have shop class there's different varying uh you know levels of that depending on you know what school you go to could be they could have a uh, auto mechanics they could have welding they could have lasers they could have 3d printers they could have sewing there's just you know so many different things that could be you can't you know you don't get all that usually and again you so you do that for a semester or whatever in middle school and then you it's not clear that you can keep doing that you know so you know i worked with the bandsaw in middle school mm -hmm. and then you know whatever 35 whatever years later then i bought a bandsaw <laughs> and then yeah. right so so we got to make that make that connection well, I think like one of the things that, you know, and I try to always, I always try to mention people that are trying to do great things with, you know, education, but my friends, Brian and Molly have a, a nonprofit in Cleveland uh, called MotoGo and they're trying to bring back uh, shop classes. So they teach a bunch of different high school students around Cleveland how to work with tools um, and their focus is, is through motorcycles because you know Brian also has Skidmark Garage which is what attracted me to go to Cleveland in the first place um, and so they take motorcycles to high school students or they also have um, a, an air, a location where they can bring high school classes to them and work on motorcycles every week because a lot of kids don't have the opportunity to use tools in their home and right. so this really gives these kids a, a, a real sense of being confident in their own abilities to fix stuff. And it's not intimidating. And so you've got, it's cool to see like a, a huge class of kids, you know, some like some are even like almost middle school. Um, and then some are older than high school and, uh, you know, boys and girls uh, come to this classes. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's great to see people who wouldn't normally be working on a motorcycle learn that hey, motorcycles are cool too. Yep. Yeah. Just so, yeah. So anybody out there, check out Motogo in Cleveland, and and uh, they're a nonprofit. So if you feel like you know donating, and then just check them out on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. I will. Uh, I'll put a link also for people if they want to check it out. Um, yeah, we see, you'll post a lot of that on LinkedIn. I always see that. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I really want to try and support them. I feel like yeah. LinkedIn is like I always see all the tech stuff, and I see the 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 the, the, the business to business stuff, and but. I feel like to build a business, you have to have confidence and skills and you need to be able to do things. And there's a lot of people making stuff with their hands that I don't think are getting credit on that. So I, I, I try to you yep. know, throw in a post here or there to, to make people think about it. I agree. Yeah. And, and that makes me, it reminds me, uh, you were on the shop class podcast talking yep. to those guys uh, and yeah, they... we, we talked like an hour and a half after the podcast ended about, about my, my trip across the U S and cause yeah, that's what of, reminded me of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and those guys, they every every week they have on some uh, shop teacher from around the country who's doing something, and you know, and it's great to see that they, you know, they're building that community and you know, in, in every little pockets around the every state or wherever, there's someone who's 
you know, trying to keep the shop class alive. So it's good to see that. Because it's, I mean, it's, and it's something that can be such a great thing for somebody who doesn't, you know, had never, they may not have somebody who works with wood or works with metal in their life. And just to be able to see that there's another path for them to, to express themselves and be creative. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's shop class is definitely the way to go. And again, but you know, and making that connection that that's, you don't just have to do this for 40 minutes or whatever, you know, right. three times a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, that there's, you know, there's opportunities, there's people all around you who do this for their career. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's maker spaces, there's all these different ways that you can get involved and like, you know, make that part of your life, not just, you know, something that's like a one time thing. Yeah. Or maybe get into the trades, you know, being yep. a plumber, being an electrician, being a carpenter, you know, sheetrock guy or girl. Yep. Anything that, you know, cause there's tons of opportunity to, to have a business for yourself, you know, doing whatever kind of stuff you want to do. And it is rewarding at the end of the day to, to look back and see you've, you've built something or, you know, framed a house or done something like that. So. Yep. Yeah. Cause we see so many people who are, you know, work in the office for 20 years and then they go and buy a table saw or whatever right. <laughs> after watching a YouTube video and they're like, Oh, I should have been doing this, <laughs> you know, for this whole time. Um, so yeah, definitely. It's maybe that's it. It's a balance, right? You know, you, it's just, it doesn't have to be your entire career, your entire life, but it's definitely makes a, you know, interesting and, you know, uh, just give you a broader experience to have that well and option. like the maker spaces like you know plenty of the makers like there's a couple that have maker spaces around the u.s um and then like you know jim from soulcraft in cleveland you know you see like sometimes there'll be a grandparent who worked with wood and stuff and they'll bring like their grandkids in there because they've got the grandkids for the for the weekend mm -hmm. and so they'll show them you know something else that they can enjoy that they may not have a wood shop at their house and their parents may not have it but um i know that they teach a lot of weekend classes and they you know it's yep. a it's a great family event. So, yeah, yep, yeah. There's a yeah the makerspace that up here in Troy they do that too. They have weekend classes for kids and stuff, and they're doing a lot of outreach. They're always at um, Maker Camp. Uh, you know, obviously it's their local event, so they go to that. Right. And um, yeah, they have. Hey, seen... You guys have the, like the Northwest Makers Group up there? Is that um, North, Northeast, Northeast Makers? Northeast, yeah, yeah. Northeast Makers is a just a casual coalition of everybody who Paul Mayette has ever met online. He's, right. he's, he's from the Boston area and yep. he, you know, he knows everybody and uh -huh. he, but it's great to, to learn about, yeah, like these are the makers that are in your region. Hopefully other people set up something similar. Cause again, if you can't make it to maker camp, you probably still can find at least, you know, one other person to just have coffee, right. you know, and, that's your the start of your maker event, and then you can just you know every month you can uh, you know try to find another person. And well, and, and talking about Paul, I was I, I was joking uh, you know like a couple months ago on one of my, a couple of my posts, but I really want to see how many makers come to Maker Camp, bring some Hot Wheels to give Paul to add to his collection because I want him to go home with a car full of cars. Oh, that's amazing! I agree because you know there'd be like what five hundred people there. Yeah, and then so. You you know, they're like 99 cents a dollar or something and so you know if you find a cool hot wheel car in a package you know make sure to overwhelm him i, I know that he's i know that he's uh, got a bunch at his house but he could always use more 
yeah, yes. So, and maybe there's ones that are available in your local store that he doesn't have access to easily. Right. So right. find the coolest ones and uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, collect them exactly. for Paul. A couple yeah. bucks. So that's a, that's a challenge out there for all the makers out there. I like this. The Hot Wheels challenge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. That's great. I'll definitely, uh, uh, you know, start uh, talking about that and remind people to do that. That'd be really all right. Cool. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, you've been uh, gracious with your time. I appreciate uh, you hanging out with me. Uh, where can people yeah. see what you're what you do? Uh, I mean, uh, my website, which you know needs to be updated, is markadamspictures.com. Uh, Instagram, markadamspictures. Uh, my personal accounts are 66TAT. So that's the Route 66 Transamerica Trail was what that started. Okay. And that's, you know, mostly pictures, some of the remodels, some of like the trip and things like that. That's kind of, that's a personal account. So it's not really public. So I got to approve everybody. Sure. But uh, yeah, the, the private, the public one, I just try to put the personal work. So it's a lot of portraits, a lot, a lot of motorcycle events if I'm shooting that. And then, uh, that's the primary stuff, but yeah. So if you need, you need any photography, you know, now that I'm done with the remodel, I'm going to try and do that, get back into photography full time. So. All right. Yeah. I'll, yes. If you need a photographer, definitely uh, reach out to Mark. He's uh, got some skills. Uh, <laughs> <he's>... <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. And uh, this is the time where I thank uh, my patrons. Uh, yeah. Matt from Artigiano Serio and Ed Johns. Uh, just saw Matt this weekend. So. He's a great guy and appreciate uh, all the stuff he does for the community. Uh, if you uh, would like to support the show, that this would now would be a good time because I just had to put in my credit card information for Zencaster so we can record the podcast. Um, they just started charging after uh, several years of making it free. So now's a great time to, to join. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash making problems to solve and you'll get access to the after show. Uh, we have a little bit more chat with the guests and uh, and there's some other rewards on there that are that are fun. Some people have posted those on there. I think uh, Keith and uh, Jeremy's piece were talking about those. So uh, check that out. You can also uh, review the show or just share it with a friend. Uh, you can uh, keep up to with what we're doing on Instagram at at making problems to solve. And you can see what I'm doing at Dave Bauer art. All right. Uh, thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah, thank you.